the slogan for the Green Party. It says, not left, not right, forward, together. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity for the Greens in Canada is clearly positioning ourselves as a party of the center, a party that is not at the fringes or the extremes. It's a party that wants to bring together as many viewpoints as possible and move forward together. You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 108, The Undefinable Spirit, Stefan Wiesen, Painting the World Green. I see trees of green, red roses too, I see them blue for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Welcome to another edition of the SIL podcast and the Undefinable Spirit, which is our interview series. And today we're very happy to have with us Stefan Wiesen, the Green Party candidate for Dufferin Caledon in the upcoming federal election here in Canada. Now, in his youth, Stefan was editor-in-chief of Germany's largest political student newspaper and youth leader with the CDU, the party of Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel. In his early professional years, he worked in Germany, France, and Michigan after an education in banking and business administration. In 1993, Stefan's family of four emigrated to Canada. He soon became a, quote, serial entrepreneur, first with an advertising company in Kitchener and Danbury, Connecticut, then manufacturing consumer goods, then an Orangeville-based solar company, and finally his Guelph-based business in digital marketing, which he shares with two partners. As a volunteer, Stefan was treasurer of the Orangeville BIA, chairman of the Guelph Chamber of Commerce, and he is currently treasurer of the Career Education Council of Guelph Wellington Dufferin. His daughter, Laura Campbell, is well-known in our region as the Green Party candidate during the 2018 provincial election and owner of a popular restaurant in Orangeville, which Stefan's wife founded. In his spare time, Stefan tinkers with his vintage car and bikes. He confirms that these machines are fully recycled and saved from a landfill. Welcome to the podcast, Stefan. Thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Now, in your statement that you sent to us earlier about what you stand for, you said, and I'm going to quote this, we must take a holistic approach to build a modern state that leaves nobody behind, unquote. Now, Stefan, how is it possible to adopt a holistic approach where people work together in nonpartisan ways when our political environment is so polarized? Absolutely. As we all know, the Green Party stands foremost for the environment, for environmental action. We are in a climate crisis. This is a blessing and a curse. It is a blessing in a way that this is really the most pressing issue we have, not only here in Canada at the upcoming election. It's a global issue. Mm-hmm. At the same time, right, it's a curse that people think the Green Party is only about the environment and has nothing else to offer for other very, very important issue. And that is not the case. I would like to make a point that social issues, issues that relate to our society, how we deal with each other, 
are related to our environmental crisis because we have become so partisan, so bitter. Some people in our society have even developed a passion to be anti-climate change action. Yeah. They get excited about it. They, they are starting lawsuits against climate actions. It's such a divisive issue where it's totally clear what science is saying. Society has these worldviews, has developed worldviews that in some of them are really, really toxic. Mm-hmm. And, and this may come out of frustration that in our society, not everything is healthy. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. We have a a crisis in housing. Uh, We have a crisis with the opioids overdose. We have more people dying from overdoses than in car accidents. We have many issues. We have a precarious job environment. Think of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. How many jobs are we losing? Is the job of an accountant even safe in the future? Yeah, but what I'm trying to get at is how is it even possible to bridge the gap between people like like yourself and people who are so vehemently anti-climate change? How do you bridge the gap? Yes. So it has to start with having the engagement with everybody, all groups in our society. And the Green Party calls this even all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. We have that climate crisis And let's at least agree on this and let's work together all parties. And then we can later on discuss the details, how to bring about child care, Mm. how to bring about a better medical care or pharma care, dental care for all population here in Canada. Mm -hmm. These are issues that we might have different views on it, but let's at least agree, let's fight the climate change and let's create a society that is able to do that together, that we, we set aside our differences on individual issues and come together. And in the Green Party, when you read about this, we even make a reference to a war cabinet of, of Churchill in World War II, where all parties were sitting in a war cabinet. Mm. And they were certainly not discussing the color of whatever the fire hydrants in the city. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. They, yeah. they had a big issue. And then, yes, you can always have differences on other issues and have a good discussion. Let's have a competition for best ideas. But we have to get back to that good dialogue amongst all players. Right. And you were mentioning childcare. And on that subject, what was your childhood like? And how do you think it shaped you and what you currently believe in? Uh, my father was the attorney general of our home province called the Saarland in Germany. Mm-hmm. So he worked for the government for all his life. That guaranteed a solid middle class income for our family. So we didn't have a lavish lifestyle. My mother was absolutely typical for the 1960s, 70s. She was a at-home mom. I have a sister, six years my junior. So we lived a good life. I mean, our parents afforded us the best possible education. Mm. And we are grateful, my sister and I, to have taken that opportunity. And fortunately, I stayed on the right path. So describe what you currently believe in and the link to that childhood. Yes. I believe in justice. I believe in science. I believe in making rational decisions. I believe in in passion and compassion. And let me use my father here as the example. It's so funny. He he was the attorney general, right? He was the man in charge putting people in jail. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he was the director of a charity that 
looked after prisoners when they got released from prison. Uh -huh. Yeah, interesting. You see, see where, where this is coming from. So, yes. so there was this belief in justice, but also we humans fail. We are not perfect. So let's go for rehabilitation and not punishment. Yeah. Uh, we had long discussions on, I learned about uh, that death penalty is a no-no. And my father also came not only from a moral perspective, but he also said, you know, we judges, we attorneys, we make errors, we make mistakes. Yeah. And we make a mistake and somebody was electrocuted or whatever. It, it is impossible. We cannot serve 100% justice. So that sense of balance and a clear understanding who we are as humans, that we are way far away from perfect. And the daily conversation at dinner about politics and social affairs and what's going on in the world, that really shaped me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, speaking of passion and compassion, you've got a company now in Guelph, mm -hmm. uh, digital marketing called Intrigue, I believe. Mm -hmm. And you describe it as a B Corp company, which has in place an ESOP system, uh, Employee Stock Ownership Plan. Can you mm -hmm. talk about B Corp and ESOP and why that's a better way to go for a corporation? Maybe not for every corporation. However, if you look at a recent summit of, um, the proper name just escaped me, but it's basically all the CEOs of the largest corporation in the United States. They have an economic council amongst themselves. Uh -huh. So it's the crop of the crop, so to speak. They are going in this direction. What does that mean? Uh, let me quickly explain a B Corp for you. A B Corp can embrace a triple bottom line, which is profit, certainly, but also the community and the employees. Mm. A corporation, both in the US as well as in Canada, is governed under certain laws, right? And under this law, a shareholder can rightfully sue the directors of the corporation for not doing everything to maximize the shareholder's profit. So the protection of the shareholder is paramount and absolute in Canadian American law. Yep. So for example, if I'm director of a corporation and I feel the environment needs a little bit tender care, I'm installing a solar system on my business's building. Now the shareholder becomes, how could you do that? Here you spend $500,000 from my money, from my shareholders' money for a solar system that doesn't help us to increase our profits. Mm. And this lawsuit would be judged in favor of the shareholder. Right. So the idea is, and the same is the pressure on even public companies, that shareholders are pressuring the quarterly results. We have quarter, 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 profit, profit, mm -hmm. profit, profit. Yes. So how is that sustainable? So that even as I said, the CEOs of large corporations said, well, maybe we need to do something. Maybe we need to do something about the environment. And maybe we need to do something better for our employees because again, science statistics are important to me. If you really look at that gap between the richest people and average people has grown dramatically in Canada and the US over the last few years. You call that the Gini coefficient. I mean, it's very scientific. Eventually, many more people understand that we have to make some dramatic changes in our society to keep everybody involved and, and give them a, a decent lifestyle. 
and not lose people at the fringes. Look at the insurgents almost of right-wing populists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Think even here in our country, we have a, a right-wing party now running uh, for this election. Look at countries like Hungary, Brazil, Poland, even Germany, in the eastern part of Germany, mm -hmm. uh, right-wing parties were fetching almost a quarter of the votes. So this must have a reason. There's no point in just complaining about it. Why are people going towards, even looks south of us, Trump, right? Populism. Why is populism so attractive right. all over the world? So again, that's why I'm coming back to the beginning of the conversation. We have issues in our society that are not healthy. We have to fix them and get the mindset. Only with this healthy mindset, we can discuss the healthy planet. Box, box. Now, listen, I read your book, um, Global Warming for Dummies, but I think if you're going to get through to the Prime Minister and Steve and his ilk, you should have called it Global Warming for people with dead eyes who keep insisting that up is down, near is far, coal is clean, and so is tar. Oh, my God, the Green Party. The only federal party who actually gained votes in the last election. The fastest-growing political party in the country. Yes. Of course, at the rate you're going, it'll take you about, oh, I don't know, 100 years before you'll even be able to form the opposition. And by that time, according to your crowd, the whole House of Commons will be underwater. What bugs me, Elizabeth, is you haven't been allowed to participate in some of the debates. You're like a debate suffragette. We need a female voice there. And at one point during the Globe debate, all three candidates were arguing over how fast they could build pipelines. Did it feel a little bit to you like a pipeline measuring contest? <laughs> well, I think it's great what you are doing. I think it's ridiculous that we don't see a sitting federal party represented. I find it even more ridiculous that we don't have half of the population represented. We need a, a green voice. We need a female voice in this election. But we are out of time. Sorry, Elizabeth. But I tell you what I'm going to do. Why don't you live tweet our whole show? Would you do that for us? I'm on board. I tweet, therefore I am. Fantastic. Folks, follow her tweets. Go to at Elizabeth May. Good luck, Elizabeth. Box, box. Stefan, what drove you to get into politics in the first place? Yeah, I, I mentioned in the beginning these dinner conversations we had at home. Friends of the family, everybody has been always involved in politics and civic affairs and you name it. And then when I went to a new school, I met a young gentleman and whose father was an MP in Germany. Mm. And he organized a youth organization for the Christian Democratic Union in our riding. So I became a founding member at age 15 of that riding association for the Christian Democratic Youth. And from that point on, it started going. I uh, became very active um, as a student. You mentioned the student newspaper in your introduction. I became candidate for the president of the student council. So that was my first election campaign. So we had a real good campaign, you know, with flyers and uh, <laughs> intrigues and, <laughs> and mudslinging. Cheerleaders. <laughs> Cheerleaders uh, buying votes, you know. So it was really, it was fun. Anyways, but this gave me all the experience and understanding how to, to even make life in schools better. So I mm -hmm. always had this sense. And uh, then obviously life happens. You graduate, you go to university, meet a wonderful woman. You know, start working, start uh, start eventually your own business, have a family. So politics was a bit on the back burner also when we moved to Canada, obviously. 
first five years, we were not allowed to be a citizen. So eventually we became citizens. Then I looked around and I found that my business life, I would think that I'm pretty much at the top of my career. I co-own an awesome company. We are years in a row, one of the fastest growing businesses in the country on the top 500 list. I'm thinking back on the issues in society, which I had addressed already a few times early on today. And I said, you know what, you got to do something. And then Laura, my daughter, was running provincially. Right. Um, mm -hmm. She has these wonderful grandchildren. And it sounds almost corny, but it's the grandchildren now. Oh, it doesn't it's, sound corny to me at all. I want the legacy. I mean, they call me Grandpin. I want the legacy that they say, Grandpin, yeah, he and his generation messed up our planet, but he did something about it before right. it was too late. Or they could say, our Grandpin was a bad guy. He messed up our uh, planet, yeah. period. <laughs> that's my two choices, and I choose the first. Okay, so that's wonderful. And so you put your hat in the ring for the Green Party. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this, Stefan. In Germany... You can say that Germany was maybe the breakthrough country for the Greens in terms mm -hmm. of their uh, ambition to become the government, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, to the point where in 2019 election, there were 21 MEPs elected, the 20.5% of the national vote. That's really incredible. Now, how are you going to do that in Canada when we still have this one note idea of what the Green Party stands for? How do you get over that? How did it happen in Germany that the Greens did so well? Yeah, let me start at the end. The end is the slogan for the Green Party. It says, not left, not right, forward together. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity for the Greens in Canada is clearly positioning ourselves as a party of the center, a party that is not at the fringes or the extremes. It's a party that wants to bring together as many viewpoints as possible and move forward together on modern issues. I mentioned the 21st century economy, the 21st century society that is part or inside a modern state. So going back to Germany, if you look at history, the history goes back to the late 60s when we had the student protests, also in North America. Right? Mm -hmm. There were the big student protests, the revolts. Uh, racism was an issue that triggered protests here in the United States. It was the Vietnam War that triggered protests. So we are looking at the 60s and early 70s. Germany had also a protest movement, and Germany had actually the opposite of the bickering Germany had that grand coalition where the two big parties together formed the government, which means the opposition was relegated to maybe less than 10% of the members of parliament. Mm -hmm. And then an extra parliamentary opposition formed itself to protest against the establishment. And it galvanized also around nuclear power. Atomkraft nein danke, no nukes. So you, many young people had their stickers, you know, on their cars. So that's where the green movement started. It started from a somewhat or partially radical movement of violent protests. And then eventually it became a party, which in the beginning was a very, very left radical party. And it attracted clearly way left of center people as voters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But as the environmental issues became more clear and we had an environmental crisis in the 80s, think ozone layer, think 
acid rain. You remember that? Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So all of a sudden, in many countries, environmentalism became mainstream. Even with the Christian Democrats, the party I'm close to in Germany, they had the first minister of the environment taking care of things. So all of a sudden, the message of the Greens had changed from protest to being a constructive force in a positive message, we need to act on the environmental crisis. And believe it or not, I mean, it has worked. I mean, the issues were addressed. Uh, sure, ozone layer is still a problem, but not to the extent it. we had shown in many countries that a concentrated action can work. So today, the Greens are, yes, are way more mainstream in most European countries. There's still some you know, more old-fashioned left thinking in it. Yep. Uh, some of my German friends said, what, you're running for the Green Party? You are such a centrist person. Mm. I said, yeah, in Canada, the Green Party is really in the middle. And that brings me to what I said at the beginning here, right? We are moving forward. We don't want to be left. We don't want to be right. We want to be modern. We want to be progressive. We want to understand the issues. We want to listen to science and rational decision-making and leave behind the passion for the evil. And speaking of the environment... How do you respond to people who claim with certainty, often supported by their own sources of scientific evidence, that climate change is neither man-made nor a serious threat to the planet? Mm -hmm. There is no real answer for these people. There is no answer. It is very, very difficult. What I can say is that I personally, I'm not a scientist. I have a good understanding. Physics was one of my best uh, grades in my baccalaureate. I'm not a scientist, but I understand what scientists are saying. And scientists can measure an event that a supernova star is sucked up by a dark hole 900 million light years away. We have sensors to detect this event. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that these scientists, this class of scientists, could not figure out what a greenhouse is? You know? Yeah, it is a very, very, very simple science, and um, right, yeah. they just—they mm. are not thinking rationally. I must say, and I don't want to offend everybody, but the rational thinking is clearly on the side of the majority of people. I don't know a single person that I would find otherwise reasonable that denies man-made climate change. I don't know a single person otherwise rational thinking. In other yeah. words, you think that some of the force against it is simply contrarian in nature. Yes, Hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you about this sort of attitude that many people have towards what we can do in terms of climate change. Is it a myth that shifting to a green approach will diminish our lifestyle in some way? Will we have to make some kind of sacrifice? Or can everybody win, win, win in the changeover to a green economy? Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at the opposite first. We all can lose, lose, lose. So if we're not taking action, we will all lose. There's not a single winner, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you are a billionaire or whether you are a normal worker like you and I, there is not a single winner. I mean, the planet will be fine. (laughs) It's a problem with the people and and all living beings if this climate change continues the way it's predicted by scientists if we don't do anything, right? right? So how can we 
win because everybody wants to win. And also the Green Party is about a positive message. We don't want to be the doomsday people. We don't want to be those who have all these bad predictions and there's no hope. We want to be the party of hope. So where's the hope coming from? Economies have shifted many times over and over. You know, it started with an agrarian society, mm. and then we found our natural resources, coal and steel, and started digging for stuff in the ground. And then we started manufacturing beautiful things with the help of steam power. Then eventually, you know, we went into better manufacturing technologies. And then the third wave came in service industries. So we created more and more jobs and services. So now we are going into the fourth industrial revolution into that area. So how will that look like? It will be changing. It will be meaning different jobs. Yeah. It will be meaning clean tech jobs. It will be meaning a renewed agriculture, which maybe needs a little bit more human input mm. with, with less automation, maybe a little bit more tender loving care by hand. So there, there's potential of jobs even in agriculture and in all kinds of technologies that are clean Research and development, if you look at some European countries have now developed really absolutely crazy devices to harness the energy, which is natural. Yep. So, so many ideas are there and all these ideas will be new jobs. There will be, even here in, in, our, in our county, we have a young gentleman who was never an entrepreneur. He was an engineer and he patented a little product that the owners of electric cars used to store the plug for their charging cable. Absolutely low-tech, simple device, mm -hmm. but it's a little example how a one-man entrepreneur can start his own business based on a new technology, quality electric car. So while so, we're on this very optimistic wave, if the Green Party were elected, do you think it would change the operation of government in any fundamental way? Well, I mean, the, the term where elected is certainly maybe needs a little bit of qualification. I'm not naive to say that Elizabeth May will be our next prime minister. I'm not a naive to assume that the Green Party will be the next government here. However, if you look again at predictions of polling institutions, the most likely scenario today is that the Liberal Party will have a minority. Mm-hmm. And the Green Party will have a strong increase in seats, right. up from two we have today in our federal parliament. So yeah, let's look at the scenario. Liberal minority, let's say they are short five seats away from majority. Let's assume Greens have 10 candidates in parliament, including myself. Mm. Here we go. So <laughs> the Liberals can govern with the support of the Greens. Right. So we would say, hey, Mr. Trudeau, we support your budget. We support you on social issues. We support you on, on healthcare issues. We support you on other things. And we agree on many topics with the, the liberals, by the way. So we, we, we support you with all this. But then, dear Mr. Trudeau, if you want to have a four-year government, we've got to ramp up our environmental efforts. Now, we, we need to talk about that pipeline again. We need to talk about the $3.3 billion dollars you're giving to the oil sector. Mm. We need to talk about other environmental issues that are a condition for the Greens to be implemented unless it wouldn't support your government. Right. And a reasonable government would probably support a compromise 
Mm-hmm. And uh, this is how the Greens could effectively influence the direction our country is going over the next four years and many years to come. Mm-hmm. So, Stefan, politics aside, on a personal note, what's the most outrageous thing you've ever done in your life? Outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you can, that, that you can actually discuss on air. <laughs> that I can't discuss on air. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm married for 35 years. Right. I don't want to jeopardize that either. But maybe the, the, most, the most unique thing I have done in my life is mm. for a week, I was the chauffeur of the Dalai Lama. Wow. Really? That's interesting. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Were you able to talk to him? Absolutely. What, what did you learn from him? Anything special or a special moment that you could share? Humbleness, uh-huh. modesty, yeah. and outright charisma. You know? mm. So we often talk about leadership and uh, certainly, you know, I'm a leader in my business. I'm a community leader, you know, with my functions in the Chamber of Commerce and other non-for-profits. But there is something in leadership that no matter how many books you read or no matter how many podcasts you listen to, charisma is not something you can learn or acquire. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but, you know, if you have somebody that's considered by millions as God in your car, Mm -hmm. that made me feel (laughs) very, very special. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I would say the, the Dalai Lama's humbleness and and his message of peace and nonviolence, which is actually one of the six green principles, is right. peace and nonviolence. This message he brings about, especially the way you know, he represents his suppressed people, mm. I would say, yeah, just that presence of somebody with this amount of charisma was amazing. You know? mm. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a good driver. I think I impressed him too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. you're you're jumping off each other's energy, your vibes, your respective vibes. <laughs> okay, so yes. l- l- staying with the personal side here, here's another. This is, these are questions actually from a, a famous uh, interview sort of technique called the Proust uh, questionnaire. Mm-hmm. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions like that. What is your favorite word and why? Green. Um, why? Because it's all on top of my mind. <laughs> okay, and least favorite word and why? Hate. Because hate is the source of all evil. Hate is throwing societies back. It's throwing individuals back. It brings misery. It brings death. It's, yeah, I hate it. Okay, so here's another little question. Kind of like that. The world is in a difficult state in many ways. How would you explain to a young child why the world is in the state that it's in? What would you say to that child? You know, I, I have two children, call yeah. it grandchildren, yep. Kip and Oni. Mm-hmm. said, guys, you had already two ice cream today. <laughs> if you eat more ice cream, you will get a bellyache. Mm-hmm. So we, you have to moderate yourself. If you want to continue enjoying ice cream, Tomorrow, I'll give you another ice cream tomorrow. You can enjoy your ice cream. But if you have a bellyache, right, you get really, really sick. And for a week, you can have no more ice cream because you ate too much today. Mm -hmm. So you have to temper yourself and you have to do it right. 
and you have to do it step by step so you can't just swallow too much ice cream at the same time. Yeah, I share that uh, sentiment <laughs> on moderation. So along the same line, what kind of world would you like your daughter's children to grow up in? A world that uh, clearly does not need to have that anxiety about the future anymore. And it, it might be idealistic, uh, as obviously the listeners are aware, I grew up in Germany, very close to the Iron Curtain. And I, I remember as a child, I was afraid of atomic war. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a high preparedness. I mean, Germany has been the NATO country at the front almost. I mean, sure, the front lines have, have moved a little bit further east, but the threat of atomic war was somewhat real in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, children may be afraid of a catastrophe of our climate. So I wish a future where these huge, huge issues, which you as an individual directly cannot influence, right? I, I can influence to eat too many ice creams because I'm susceptible to this. I can do that. I can eat less ice cream. Yeah, but I cannot personally do something right now to avert the climate crisis, right? I'm working on it. I do a tiny contribution. So I wish this overarching fear of something that's looming as a catastrophe over your head. I hope the grandchildren won't have that future and and it will be decades until this is removed. And maybe there's a new challenge in 50 years. Who knows? That's a great thought to kind of wrap things up in. Before we close, uh, Stefan, are there any upcoming events? Is there any contact information, websites that you want to mention to the listener? Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the campaign is uh, officially starting tomorrow, so this oh. podcast is very timely. So the election campaign starts tomorrow with the election on the 21st of October. Yeah, we have several events. There's ice cream. <laughs> no, I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, ice cream with the candidates <laughs> every Friday. <laughs> How appropriate. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm but not too much. Lose- but not too much. I'm, <laughs> I'm losing a few votes here, but that's so, so be it. Uh, uh, so there, there's opportunities. So the best indeed is if you go to my website, it's wiesen.ca. That's W-I-E-S-E-N.ca, wiesen.ca. So everything is really easy to find. And that's a good way of yeah, finding out what's going on, engaging with me. Great. We've really uh, enjoyed talking to you. This has been informative and it's also been a good time, actually. Yeah, and the best of luck in the coming election. Have a great campaign. And uh, hope to see you in Parliament. Well, thank you. Banging your fist on the desk and claiming the rights of the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, banging the fist on the desk is not my style, but I get your drift here. (laughs) Thank you, Stefan, and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. You're very welcome. Peter Harry, thank you so much. All the best, Stefan. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ciao. I see trees of green. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world.